All right. You guys remember last week we started this new series called Equipped. I think the timing is, is a little impeccable, especially um, with what I had to share Sunday. Is, is, and, and I was talking about, you know, the timing of everything and how it works out. You know, we spent a year talking about whatever happened to the power of God and what happened to it. Why is it gone? Where did the church go? Where did God go? Why did He disappear? Why don't we see Him move in the way that we used to, in the way that we read about, in the way that we study in Scripture? And we begin to question like, well, God, did you change? Did something happen? And then we look at the church today and we wonder, are we truly equipped to handle the situations around us? I'm not even talking about what's going on right now, although that's part of it. You see, the problem with the church today, especially in America, is it is soft, weak, ill-prepared, ill-equipped. You know why that is? There are a lot of things that call itself church that aren't necessarily a biblical model of church. What do I mean by that? Well, as an example, there was an Assemblies of God church down in Texas. Now, the Assemblies of God is a pretty solid organization for the most part. I mean, every organization has its issues and your, your weird characters and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just, it's just the reality of it. It's the way it goes. They even let Texas fans join. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? So I know because of that, you maybe question the sincerity. How committed is the Assemblies to God? You know, but it is what it is. But... About a month ago, I got sent a video of a pastor down in Texas who was preaching, and he was up there, and it was the typical thing. He was a guy about my size, except he was wearing skinny jeans, okay? Listen, we all got a problem with that, all right? And he's up there, and he's going on, and he was talking about the direction the church was going in and whatnot, and he said that he and the elders of the church for a year had been praying and seeking the Lord for wisdom and the direction that the Holy Spirit was leading them to go with the church when it came to the matters of homosexuality and the LGBTQ and all that other stuff, however many other letters they've added to it since yesterday. Okay, And the where that the Holy Spirit had led him and his team of elders was that they were going to embrace them, promote them, love them, allow them to serve, and perform marriages. Yep. So now, let's look at that statement. For one year, they said that they had battled with this. It took the Assemblies of God's district completely by surprise. They had no idea this was coming. Now let me ask you something. If you are wrestling with something of God and you have spiritual leaders, and you're wrestling with it for 12 months, at some point... Don't you reach out to your spiritual leaders at some point? That tells me one of two things. Either they truly weren't wrestling with it for a year, but they kind of had their mind made up where they were going to go, or they just, you know, they're just using words, or that is the worst district in the history of districts when it comes to the assemblies of God, because they're inept. That church is no longer affiliated with the assemblies and all of that. But how did they get there? Well, you see, we have a malnourished church today, starving for the Word. They're ill-equipped. Are we equipped to handle the scenarios of today? For the things of God. Let's look at this. Let's first of all talk about what the word equip means. It's to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose. We talked about vehicles being equipped. Y'all just bought a new truck, right? I bet it's got a few bells and whistles on it. No, not one. You said, listen, don't even put tires on it. I don't need them. (laughs) Like, 
you know what I'm saying? Like, we get things equipped the way we want them, or the way we can afford them. I mean, whatever. I told you guys a story about the, the, the lady with the cup holder last week. You know, wouldn't buy a vehicle because it didn't have a cup holder. Now they're, they're standard. You know, now, now they're getting to like, they, I got into a friend of mine's car. It was a brand new vehicle. Uh, about a month ago, I felt like I was sitting in a spaceship. There were so many buttons on this thing. It's like, I wouldn't even know where to start. How do you turn it on? It's got a push button. Now, for some of y'all, that may not be that big a deal because they've been around for a while, but that's the first one that Chris had seen. Okay, I still have a key. I kind of like the key. I know where the key is. I don't have to worry about it. They say to keep this... No? That's true. I do lose it from time to time. I did eventually find that key, though, just so you know. I did about a year later, so that was handy. Um, But he talks about this key fob thing that he sticks in his pocket and as long as it's there they can just touch the car and unlocks push the start button well he learned something okay now his wife and he they live about 18 miles from where their kids go to school and she came home in this new car and um, they were talking and one of the kids had to go to the school and so she just decided i'm just going to leave it running i'll jump out he'll jump in take the kid to the school you know what they found out You may not be able to start that vehicle without the key fob, but you can drive it a long ways before it'll finally stop. Because when he got that 18 miles away and they got to the school function and it was over, they went to start it, no worky. So he got to wake his wife up to come rescue them, right? Too many things. Too many things, right? It's equipped with features that I don't even care if it has. Did you know? Here's the thing. Vehicles used to not have seat warmers. And you didn't know you need them until they started putting them in. And now you're like, I don't know if I could live without it. Well, I was buying a new truck a while ago. I test drove one with a heated steering wheel. I never knew my hands were that cold. But it's magical. I didn't buy it because, you know, they want money for it and I didn't want to spend it. But, but the bottom line is it's like all of these things are a part of it. But you know what are, were crucial? It's not the seat warmer, not the steering wheel being heated or any of this other stuff. It needs a motor. Darn, you're wasting your time. It needs tires. See, there are some things that you cannot live without. You have to have. And how do you figure out what those things are? Well, you can study the manual. would be one thing. Car no go forward with no transmission. You know? I mean, the thing is, is that is the church today equipped with the essentials that it needs to exist in a fallen world? Are we prepared? Are we ready? How do we get there? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. For what? That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we're going to begin to break this down of what Paul is talking about and telling Timothy, but we know the number one thing is it starts with Scripture. You see, without Scripture... We have nothing that can equip us. We can be incomplete if we don't know Scripture, if we don't study Scripture. Because outside of Scripture, do you realize that you will know nothing about the attributes of God? You can go out and say, okay, it's obvious to me something made this because it didn't just happen on accident. And you can say at times, like, you know what, there was some divine intervention there because, you know... How does that happen? You know, pick any miracle that you want. But without Scripture, you do not know about the character of God. You don't know about the things that He said. We don't know the history of the Israelites. We know nothing about a coming Messiah. Think about that. How valuable is it? But yet today in church, we begin to question the words that we don't like. Because we have not been taught to rightly divide the Word. 
We've not been taught to stand on the Word and put our hope and faith in the very words of God Himself. And what is given here? That it is of God. It was given by inspiration of Him. Thus, you should listen up. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But the bottom line is that the man of God, he can be complete. That means that if you don't know it, if you don't study it, if you're not prepared with it, you are not complete. When things get tough, what do we do? We go to our natural instincts. You get the fight or flight syndrome. What do we do? How many people are running right now? Scared. Because they watch too much of the news or they're on Facebook too much. Did you know? I don't know if you know this, but not every post on Facebook is factually accurate. I know. I'm shocking some of you. You can't believe it. I know. Listen, it took me a while to come to that understanding. But the thing is, is we read these things and we're like, oh my gosh, the world is ending. What do we do? Last week we talked about David. David preparing to go up against Goliath. Now, remember the story. He had been anointed as king. Saul and all the guys are out to battle. Three of his brothers are there. They're prepared for battle. They had been battling for a long time. This land belonged to them. It was God said it's yours. Go take it. It took them years to get to the point they were now because they were afraid of the giants that were in front of them initially. So it took 40 years. They wandered the wilderness. And finally, Joshua gets to take them in. And they begin to conquer the land. And then eventually they wanted a king. And God said, listen, you don't want a king. Here's why you don't want one. And they're like, no, 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 no. We still want one. He's like, all right, I'll give it to you if that's what you want. So he gave them what they asked for. Little did they know what that was going to mean. So here they are facing an army of Philistines prepared for battle. They're on each side. They're each on a mountain. They're standing there waiting. And they send out Goliath. And they said, I'm their champion. You send out yours, and we'll go. And the winner take all. You beat us, we'll become your servants. We beat you, you become ours. And there wasn't a man in that army that was brave enough to do it. Not one. They were all afraid. Even though in the back of their mind, all of them knew that God said this is their territory to go and to take. They had actually seen it happen. Because there had been battles previous to that that they went in there and conquered because the angel of the Lord went before them. They've heard the stories They heard about how God brought their people out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, the manna, the water from the rock, how their their shoes never wore out. I mean, they've heard all the stories. What do they have to be afraid of? And yet here they are afraid because there's this big dude standing in front of them. I'm sure he was ugly. So David's dad sends him and said, listen, leave the sheep behind. Go there, take some food, take some cheese. You know, we're kind of bribing the the higher-ups. He gets there. And he sees this Philistine standing there threatening the armies of God. And he's like, no, wait a minute. Who is this guy, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he can come against us? And then he finds out that what Saul had said, if any man will go do this and he wins, here's everything I'm going to give him. And David's like, well, I'd like the sound of that. He just sweetened the pot a little bit. And so David goes up there and he's like, listen, Saul, I'll take him on. David's a boy. We don't know how old he was, but probably 12, 13. I mean, he could have been very old. They normally got married about that age, and he wasn't married. So he goes up there and said, I'll take him on. And Saul's like, you can't do this. You're too young. That guy's been, he's been killing people since before you were born. You really think you can go fight him? He's three times your size. Maybe four times. I don't know. And then David makes a statement. He says, listen, when the lion came in to take the sheep, and the bear came in to take the sheep, I chased them down. 
and I got the sheep back. And just like that, this Philistine stands no chance. Saul finally relents and says, okay, fine. You want to go? Go, but at least put on this armor. And David starts, he's like, okay, I'll do that. But then he realizes, I can't move in this stuff. He's like, I've not trained in this. I'm just going to do it the way I know. And you know the story. He grabs the stones, hits him in the head, cuts off his head, takes the trophy back to Jerusalem. Quite the trophy. Now, what was the difference between all the Israelites and David? David was prepared. You see, David had faced challenges of which he had no choice but to rely on the very Word of God. And through those challenges has seen God be faithful. So there was never doubt in his mind he was going to win. Now before we go on, as uh, Jim had us watch a video this morning, it was fantastic. In fact, um, we'll probably put it up on uh, the Facebook page later today because everybody needs to see this. It's an old Joel, or it's not Joel, John Osteen. Don't want to mix those two up. And... Um, uh, sermon. It's just great. It's really timely. But something struck me as I was standing there this morning, okay? Is that just like David was prepared because he stood on the Word of God from his youth and he knew that nothing that came against him could stand there and nothing could come against the armies of the living God. Therefore, he acted upon his beliefs and came away victorious. The church today must do the same thing. But we don't. You see, when a scare happens in life, look around us today. How many churches have closed down? A lot. A lot. Many of them because they're just saying, well, listen, the, the government's just trying to, to protect us and all that kind of stuff. I'm sorry. It's God's job. We have taken the, the mandates of the church, of the body of Christ, of the promises of God, and shifted them over and say, okay, government, do your thing. You see, during times of epidemics and pandemics and fear and all of that, the church has always been an essential place where it was a safe harbor where you could come in and find people of prayer willing to stand up and do anything because they counted on the Word. But the church today is ill-equipped. Now, there are churches that don't preach the Word. I just described one to you a little bit ago. There are churches that do preach the Word. But you know what the difference is? Is you find out where you are when you get punched in the mouth. You see, when you're forced to stand on the promises of God because nothing else is guaranteed, you find out exactly where your faith is. Just like David. You know what? You can trust God all you want, but until you go after the bear and after the lion, you're not prepared for Goliath. He was equipped. He was prepared. The trials of life had gotten him there. That kind of rhymed. It was an accident. I'm a poet. I didn't know it. Anyway. But what about the church today? Where are we at today? Are we truly equipped? You see, there's a lot of people that know the Word. They know what it says. But when it's time to stand on it, where are they? When it's time to believe God for healing, where are they? Do they put all their hope in modern medicine and doctors? Or are they allowing God to lead them and be the one who makes them whole? When you have somebody that, that gets cancer, and you're scared and all of that. Are we going to put our hope in God? Or are we going to put our hope in modern medicine? I hope that you put your faith and trust in God. Yeah, He may use the medicine. But my goodness, where does our hope lie? What about when a financial crisis? Do you guys realize the stock market will crash? 
It kind of has now, but it's not a foregone conclusion. The good news, guys, they're mailing us all checks. And when those ones run out, they'll print more money and send us that. Isn't that wonderful? Do you realize there are a lot of people that are relieved today because the government's about to mail them a check? Think about that. Where's your faith? What are you putting your hope in? Is God the one that meets our needs? Is it our jobs? You see, it's times like this we'll begin to see it come to fold. Where are we at? Look at what Hebrews 5 says. Starting in verse 13. Well, no, start in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What's the key? By reason of use. You see, we live in a country where, frankly, you don't have to live by faith. You don't. Because no matter what happens, we got it pretty good. The church today is soft. Very soft. Because we've never been in a place where your next meal is not guaranteed. You know what's a good country to live in and be homeless? America. Oh my goodness. You're guaranteed food. You can find shelter. And we're a very generous country. You can live comfortably without a job. But go to other parts of the world where that's not guaranteed. Where you can't count on your police because you don't know which side they're on. All around the world. There are places where it is illegal to be a Christian. Should they just go along with with what the government says? Well, they say that we shouldn't be born again or we shouldn't be a church or we shouldn't do this. Should we just go along with that or do we stand up for truth? It's not a matter of whether they say we can get together or not. It's the point is, is that we are not moved by the things of this world. Are we living in that way? And look at the churches today. Most of them are shut down. We're like, oh, we're online. We're just trying to do our part to flatten the curve. Let me tell you something. You know who can flatten the curve? Jesus. He can crush it. But we don't live like that. So we come near to Him with our lips, but our heart is far from Him. You see, it's times like this where we begin to see where our faith truly is. Because, guys, this, the stuff we're facing today, economically and all of this, parts of the world face every day. We're just soft. We're not prepared. We are ill-equipped. And so as we begin to get into this today, we've got to see is where we are and where we're going. When we talk about it being profitable for doctrine, when it comes to Scripture, we've got to know what that means. We've got to um, define our terms and, and whatnot. And so today we're going to jump into the book of Romans. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 3, but here's the thing. You've got to understand what's happening here. Is Paul is making a case for the place of Israel. That God's not done with them. That God has used that nation. It was His chosen people. That's never changed. If you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, it talks about Israel's past. And chapter 10, it's present. And chapter 11, it's future. That God in no way took the promises that were given to Israel and said, okay, I'm done with you now. I'm going to give it over to the church, the Gentiles. And never once does it say that. And so Paul is, is laying this thing down of what does it mean and what does the word say when it comes to being a Jew, so to speak. 
But I want you to watch this as this unfolds. So let's start in Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Now let's talk about that. Circumcision, what are we talking about? We're not talking about a medical procedure. We are talking about when they became circumcised, what were they doing? Entering into covenant relationship with God. If they were not, they were not in covenant. You guys understand that? That was the, the mandate. That was the sign of the covenant. So what is the profit of circumcision? Well, much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Now, what's it talking about when it says oracles? The Word. The things that God said. It's the Word of God. I think that marker's dry. Good thing I brought another one. See, the oracles of God were committed to who? The nation of Israel. This one's dying too. I'm going to guess that some small children with a similar last name to mine, have been playing with those markers. I'll take that. There we go. This is your punishment. Watch this one not work either. But it was committed to them the oracles of God. The words of the Lord. Now what do we read? All Scripture was God-breathed, was by inspiration, was given to them. So it's profitable. This is who it was committed to. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Okay, now here's the thing. You see, what has God promised us? Health and salvation. And, and ultimately the power to create wealth on top of that. Financial security, okay? If some don't believe, does that negate the promises to the whole? In other words, let me, let me put it another way. If, if somebody doesn't believe what God said, that doesn't make God a liar. Right? Just like if, let's talk about the rapture. Some believe it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Some don't believe it's going to happen at all. It's going to happen however God lays it out. Your belief in something does not make it true or untrue. So in this case, he says, what if some don't believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Because as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. So, the Word of God has been given to us by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. So when we get into this idea of what doctrine is, it is the very idea of what we believe. So here the Word was given to Israel, written down for our benefit, but what if some don't believe it? Does that make it not true? No. So if someone doesn't believe in healing, does that mean God doesn't heal? No. If somebody says that God heals when it's His will, does that mean that He only heals at certain times? No. Not necessarily. We always have to go back to the Word. We always stand on those promises. Now, let's go on. Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then, how will God judge the world? Now, stop. When he talks about this righteousness and our unrighteousness, he talks about God being unjust who brings wrath. Is there the wrath of God going to be poured out on the earth? According to Scripture, it will be. We know that the punishment of sin has been taken on Jesus for all who believe, but some don't want to believe. So does that make that statement not true? We're getting ready to head into the Easter season. Talking about the resurrection. The greatest miracle that's ever taken place on this earth 
is a sinless man. Every other man that died before that and was raised was a sinful man who deserved death, but not Jesus. Jesus took that upon himself, was raised from the dead because death could not hold him. And so is God unjust when he inflicts his wrath? No, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Wrath is deserved. So our unrighteousness, does that demonstrate the righteousness of God? Well, of course it does. But when we look at how this is laid out, is it God unjust? No. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? And we slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. What did he just say? Is the juice worth the squeeze? That's what he said. Because if I'm saying something that's not true, but God gets glory in it, is that okay? Think about today. Some are just saying, listen, the church just needs to kind of go along with what's being said to do what the government is asking for the good of humanity so that we can all come together. But yet, my God says to fear not. What do we do? Are we equipped to handle it? Are we equipped to stand our ground? I'm telling you, based on what I've seen in the last two to three weeks, the day, if true persecution comes upon the church in America, it will fold quicker than anything you've ever seen. Because we are not prepared to handle it. Our faith is not in God. Our faith is in how good we have it. Because we are faced with the facts today. So verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongue they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now look at that. There is no reverence, is what the fear means, of God. They're doing what they want. Do you realize that there were people that have done things in the name of God that truly wasn't God-inspired? Both good and bad. Do you realize, I don't know if you know this, but the enemy will use Scripture as a tactic against your mind. How do I know that? Well, look at Matthew 4 as an example. He quotes two psalms to Jesus. But because Jesus rightly divided the word, he overcame them. But how many people today can't do that? Aren't doing that? Won't do that? You can only do it if you know. You see, we're ill-equipped because we've not practiced living out our faith in the face of circumstances we can't control. It's easy to live out your faith when there's nothing coming against you. I was talking to Kyle last week. They're moving today, just so you know. And uh, to a new house, not away from the area, FYI. And, uh, you know, we're talking about how, how law enforcement officers, they, have to, they drill them time and time and time again. And that way that they are prepared, that in the point that they have to draw their weapon, that it's just second nature. Now, my brother's not been a cop for about five years now, and, but he still conceals carry. And he got called out. He's a locksmith now, okay? Which, don't ask me how those two things correlate. They don't. But he got a phone call to go out to Plasma to the river bottom because somebody locked their keys in their truck. It was a white F-250 and would be down by the river, okay? So, he draws, drives down there, 
sees a white F-350, thought, oh, maybe I misunderstood him. He walks up to it. As he gets close to pick the lock, a gun is pulled in his face. It's the wrong truck. Now, his instincts kicked in from his days as a cop. And he had his weapon pulled so fast that the guy had not finished moving his hand up by the time my brother had his gun pointed on him. It diffused the situation very quickly. But he said it was like, he said it was crazy because he didn't pull his gun hardly ever as a cop. He was a cop in Nebraska City. I mean, it just wasn't necessary. But he said it was just like he couldn't believe it. It just kind of happened instinctually. Why? Because he had trained for it. Kyle was saying the same thing. He said a couple years ago that all their guys got new holsters, and the way the gun was pulled out from the holster was different. So they drilled them time and time and time again until it became second nature. He also told me a story that there was a guy who practiced this with his wife. Now, you guys are going to like this one. But he wanted to be prepared in case somebody pulled a gun on him. And what he would do is have his wife pull a gun, and he would practice taking the gun from her and having it pointed back at her. I'm assuming it was unloaded, all right? I don't, I don't know. And he said they did it every week, just time and time and time again. And he said, finally, one day, a guy pulled a gun on him, and he blinked his eye, and the next thing he knows, he's holding the guy's gun, pointing it at him, because his instincts kicked in. Instinctually, the American church today comes near to God with their lips, but their heart is not in faith. We talk a big game, but we're ill-equipped. You find out where you are when you get punched in the face. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So verse 19, now when we know that whatever the law says, it said to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So what are we talking about? The very basis of the Mosaic Covenant. You see, God has laid out in writing his law and his commandments. And by doing so, he is illuminating the fact that there is nothing humanly a person can do to become righteous before God. You cannot keep those commandments. You will lie, you will cheat, you will steal. Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And if you've been here on Wednesday night, that is referring to two parts of three of the Scripture. The other part is the wisdom, literature, and prophecy. So the law and the prophets are set aside as Scripture. So it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, that's a mouthful. He just said that the law and the prophets demonstrate what? The righteousness of God, right? All of that Old Testament demonstrates God's righteousness apart from the law because it's through faith in Jesus Christ. To whom? All and on all who believe. Are there some that don't believe? Absolutely. Are there some that claim to believe 
but their actions don't match their words. Absolutely. That's how you have a church in Texas affirming something contrary to Scripture. Because they've taken parts of it and says, well, I don't like that. I'm going to change that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Jesus. Because He was set forth as propitiation by His blood. And that through faith, which is belief, hope, and trust, to do what? Demonstrate His righteousness. How did He do that? By laying His Son's life down. Wait a minute. You mean that God has by His actions shown what His words had said? Absolutely. Should we be any different? Of course not. Our actions must match the words that we say. Otherwise, they're just vain, empty words into the air. It's no different that if, if somebody had leprosy, if we refuse to go and lay hands on them as Scripture has mandated because we're afraid we might get it, then our actions don't match our words. If we're afraid to go into a situation to do the work of the ministry that God has called the church today to do because we're afraid that something might happen to us, our words don't match our actions. There are people, missionaries, that put their lives on the line every day to go where God has called them. At what point should they just stop because it's too dangerous? You never stop. God will protect you, and if you die, He takes you home. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So God demonstrated His righteousness and that He passed over the sins that were previously committed. What is He talking about? What passed over? Go back to the Passover. He, by the blood of the Lamb, He passed over what was happening to demonstrate at this time His righteousness. That means every other way that people try to come to God is fruitless. By doing things, saying prayers, doing whatever... Because it is only He that can justify us who has faith in Jesus. That means you're putting your faith, hope, and trust in Him and His work, not what you can do. So where is boasting then? Well, it's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. But do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So he's making a distinction. Is there a difference between those of the circumcised, the Jews, and those of the uncircumcised, everybody else? No. It is always the same. It is those people. He's God of all. Through faith in Jesus. You guys follow me on this? You see, when you get that aspect, you begin to act differently. Paul was saying something, you know, going to a church years ago, that somebody would ask, like, uh, you know, are you going to heaven? And their response would be like, I sure hope so. You should be able to say, absolutely. And here's why. And if your answer is anything besides the work that Jesus did, then you fail the test. Because that is how we are saved. That is how we are made righteous. Now look at Romans 4 verse 1. So what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace 
but as debt. Now, that is from Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and the righteousness was accounted towards him because of his faith and trust in God and not in his ability to simply be obedient. You see, Abraham's actions matched the words that he said. He knew he was in covenant with God because God cut covenant with Abraham. He did not have to doubt God. That doesn't mean everything he did was perfect and everything he did was right, but it was accounted to him righteousness because he believed God. God told him, said, get up and go into a land you don't know. I'll make you the father of many nations. Somebody who trusts that word gets up and begins to go. Somebody who does not be like, well, let me think about that for a little bit. Verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So, again, what are we seeing? Faith in God is what brings righteousness upon us. Nothing else. No amount of works, nothing. But it always matters that we are not justified by our works, we are justified to good works by God through faith in Jesus. That's Ephesians 2. We have to know where it is. So when it comes to where the rubber meets the road, our actions dictate our beliefs. You have to look in the mirror and say, where am I? Where do I stand? Do I truly believe this? When Leslie and Neil were going through their crisis, they found out who they are. You find out who you are in times of trial. But if you're never prepared and never equipped, when the true test comes, you won't be prepared. Verse 9, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So what is this saying? Did he become righteous as a result of the circumcision? No. The circumcision was a sign of the righteousness that had been accounted to him and the covenant that God made with him. Also, for everybody who came after him. You see, Moses told the people, is that you need to circumcise your heart. You've circumcised your flesh. If that's all it took was a simple circumcision of the flesh... You can do whatever you want afterwards, right? Because once you're in, you're in. We have that belief today in baptism. Well, if you were baptized as a child, then you're right with God. Or maybe at an older age. That has nothing to do with that. That is a sign of the faith that you already have. But if you have not put your faith in God and His righteousness, then it doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized, whether you were sprinkled or dumped. It doesn't make a lick of difference. It is your faith in God. And because of that faith, your actions will match the words that come out of your mouth. That's why we've been talking about this thing. Words matter. They do matter. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If people are afraid to leave their house right now, then their faith is not in God. I'm not talking about not using wisdom. I'm talking about a simple 
fear that people are having. There are people that are staying home that they are not afraid. They may have other motives, but their fear is not one of them. You see, it's the afraid part that we have a problem with. Because our faith and hope is not in God. For the promise that He would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. You see, the law pointed out the sin of man, thus therefore they have warning, like, listen, you are not righteous. You have not met the standard. These are the things that I can hold against you. If it was simple circumcision and keeping of the law that made a person right, Jesus doesn't need to die. We just simply need to follow a list of commandments and do them properly. But that's not the case. Law brings wrath. Faith would be made void in any other way. If you have the ability to earn your righteousness with God in any capacity, then you don't need faith. You simply need obedience. But that's not the case. Verse 16, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's a lot of words, but what happens here? You see, God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham's old. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations. He knows his wife cannot have children. And Abraham did not look at how old he was, and he did not look at how old his wife was. He just knew what God had said. And therefore, he believed. And because of his belief, it was accounted to him righteousness. It's no different than when the heir of promise, Isaac, when God told him to offer him up on the mountain, did he negotiate with God? God, no, this is the son that you promised. You told me I would have him, and he's here, and you want me to kill him? He never wavered. Why? Because he knew that God had promised that Isaac would have children. And he knew that if he goes through with this, that God would raise him from the dead. You see, the circumstances did not dictate his belief. His actions. He took the boy up on the mountain. He grabbed the wood. He grabbed the knife. Isaac's like, hey, uh, where's the lamb? Now, depending on the way, way, day of the week with your kids, you might be looking at them like, it's you. But he never wavered because he knew the promises of God. The Israelites wavered day in and day out. Why did you bring us out here to starve to death? Why did you bring us out here to die of thirst? We had it pretty good in Egypt. We were getting along with them all right. I mean, yeah, they whipped us once in a while. They killed a few of us, but not all of us. At least we had food. We could sleep at night. Oh, while the I'm sorry, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm standing up against the lake and my life is on the line and that lake splits open and God says, hey, why don't you walk through? I'm not going to question anything anymore. 
But that's the problem. Is in this country, we've hardly been tested. We've hardly gone through anything. I mean, Yoli, your motorcycle accident has probably rejuvenated your faith in a way that wouldn't be had it not been. Because the one thing about Yoli, and, and Yoli, I love you to death. The one thing about Yoli, she's just like, I don't know, God said it'll be all right. Right? I mean, that's basically where Yoli is on pretty much everything. She doesn't question God because she knows what the Word says, but she also had a trial and she came through it. Right? Am I right? It makes a difference. I mean, when you are seeing the things of God, when your faith is tried and tested, and you come out on the other side seeing the faithfulness of God, you don't question that anymore. You just know what He says is true. But because we've barely been tested. You see, morally, they've been coming against the Bible in the last 20 years. They've been trying to eliminate it if we can get rid of the church. There are, there, there are articles coming out right now that are literally blaming churches for the spread of this. I don't know if you saw those, but they are blaming the church for the spread of this thing. All I know for sure is that God is greater than anything that is out there. John Lake knew that when he was faced with the bubonic plague and taking care of these people, and he did not worry one bit. So it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness because he simply took God at His word. Guys, there were tests and trials that came along. But he took God at His word. Verse 23, Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now here's the thing. It was written down that it was accounted to him righteousness because guess what, guys? It's accounted to us righteousness as well. How did God put his money where his mouth is? He gave his son as the sacrificial lamb and then he raised him from the dead. What did he just say? It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses. He was that sacrificial lamb, but he was raised because of our justification. That's why it was done. Our actions have to match our words. We have not been equipped. We've had people that have sat in churches all of their life and yet have never grown. They are, at this moment, they are fearful. They're hiding. They refuse to come out. Some have I've taken a position like, well, we just kind of need to do anything to get along and, and just be obedient to what they're asking and all that kind of stuff. Listen, I'm not talking about anarchy. I'm talking about standing in faith. Because I was talking about this this morning. When 9-11 hit, where do people turn? They turn to the churches. Lasted for four weeks. Because they're looking for answers. That was the first time that America had been attacked in that generation. Pearl Harbor was the time before that. Yeah, there had been some bombs here or there. But that thing, when that hit, the whole nation shut down. And they turned to the church to look for answers. You know why? Because in the church is where life should be found. But here we're faced with the pandemic and where are people turning to locked doors because the church is closed. It's not this building. It's this people. The church is cowering. The church is hiding. The church is not doing the mandate. I'm thankful that whatever missionaries came to America to lay out the gospel that you and I could be here today did not cower at the face of the Native Americans who were killing them when they came. I'm thankful for that. Those that came before us. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, 
having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through what? Our Lord Jesus. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice. In the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance character. And character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, we've been justified by faith. And what? We have peace with God. When somebody says, are you going to heaven? We don't have to say, I sure hope so. We say, I know so. Because of what the Word says. Because He was raised for our justification. We have peace with God. It's through Jesus. It's through whom also we have access by faith into the grace that we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not the hope of tomorrow. Not the hope of the stimulus check. Not the hope of whatever comes. It's the hope of the glory of God. But not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Why? Because tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. You see, lives are turned upside down in the face of tribulations. Every single time when our hope is in God. I keep going back to Neil and Leslie because that's just what happened recently. But you heard her talk about there were times she began to get down and then a song would come on or somebody would reach out or the Lord would give her a word or somebody would give a word for her and it was a time to encourage her back up because she was not going to allow the thought life of the enemy to dictate her beliefs. She took every thought captive and brought it into obedience to the Word of God and the Word of God says that Neil will stand and walk and rise once again. She never wavered. There were times that were harder. But you know what? Through that tribulation, she now has perseverance. She doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to worry. I don't have anything to worry about. My God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory through His Son, Jesus. And it's that Jesus whom our faith is in. Our hope and our trust. And then we know we are justified because He was raised from the dead. And that love of God has been poured out in our hearts Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Guys, we have nothing to fear. We will not cower. We will not hide. We will not go along with the crowd and have herd mentality. We will stand up and we will be a beacon of hope and a beacon of life. No matter who comes against us during this time, I don't care. There was a time that the church was persecuted in Rome. As a result of the church standing up against the wills of the culture. Diocletian went and wiped out all the pastors, tried to destroy every word, uh, uh, every scripture out there because these people, they wouldn't go to the games and they weren't socializing in the way that they thought that they should and they weren't doing the things that they thought they should do, so they tried to get rid of them. The day is coming where this will happen. For years, years I've been asked, How can that ever happen? We have such freedom in this country. Guys, when things get tough, we give up our freedoms for security. The reason the church is soft today is because of the freedom we have. If our lives were on the line to serve God, it would make a distinction between those who are in and those who are out. Right now, we've got a bunch of bench warmers that will show up on a Sunday, but their actions never meet their words. 
And they'll go to church and they'll say some right things. But when it gets tough, they fold. They crumble. The only way you should crumble, or should, you should never crumble, but the only way that you can is if your faith and hope is in something of this world. Because my faith is in God. I don't care what the circumstances is. I will be obedient to His Word. And I don't care what the results may be. Because if something kills me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know what the Word says. I am not worried and I will not be worried. And I also will not bow to the mentality of the culture. We will stand on the Word. It's easy to say and it's hard to do. But if your faith and hope is in God, then you have nothing to worry about. You sound crazy in times of tribulation. I guarantee you, think about this. If the rapture happened tomorrow, some people are going to know what that was. And they're going to give their lives to God. There's something that's going to be triggered. But all of those who are sitting on the fence will be the first one that will take the mark. Because like, I've got to take care of my family. I've got to protect. I have to be able to buy and trade and sell and all of that. I'm just, I'm doing, God will understand. Man, where's your hope? Where's your faith? I think what we're seeing today, guys, is that the faith of the church is weak in America. I think we've all known that in the back of our heads, but we are seeing it come to fruition today. There was a, a meme that was sent to me. I, I got it sent a bunch of times. I shared it with a few people. I read it this morning. Um, I'm going to read it again. Because those concerned with what message that the church sends when it doesn't just close. This is from an atheistic Facebook page, one that I follow. I enjoy a little dialogue back and forth once in a while. It's called Science Doesn't Care What You Believe, if you'd like to follow it. They put up some really intelligent stuff. That's sarcasm if you didn't catch up on it. This is what they shared last week. This was Sunday afternoon. $170 billion to the church last year. I have no idea if these numbers are correct. Billions to mosques, billions to temples, trillions to religious festivals and rituals. And when the corona gets here, bang, religion shuts its doors and hospitals stay open. Next time, send money to science and medicine. Be smart. I got asked by several born-again believers that sent this to me. It's like, how do you respond to that? I said, very simply, they're right. They're right. Because when we're faced with a trial, what did we do? We locked our doors. We're cowering at home. The mandate to share the gospel has never changed. It's still required today, even if there's more than 10 in a room, even if you have to go within six feet of them. Where's your faith, hope, and trust? I know I'm preaching to the choir on a lot of this, guys, but the thing is, is that this is the world we live in today. We need to recognize it, and we need to rise above it. We need to be those that shine that light of God's goodness everywhere we go.